Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So this is our last week walking through this series, Letters from Prison, as we walk through the book of Philippians. So we're in Philippians chapter four, and, and I've enjoyed this as we've got to walk through a lot of Philippians, obviously not every bit of Philippians, but we've been able to walk through a lot of Philippians over these last three weeks. And so today we wrap it up in Philippians chapter four, and, and I'm excited it's going to be good. How many of you have ever been worried about something? And I'm pretty sure that's going to be all of us, right? There, I, if you walk without worry, I want you to come and preach this message instead, uh, because that is the example that we want to strive for, right? I, I remember being worried. Now, I, there's been several times in my life when I've been worried, but the time that sticks out, the moment I started writing this, this is what jumped in my mind. I was in fourth grade. And now you're thinking, how big are your worries in fourth grade? Not very big, but I remember the amount of worry on my, you know, my 10-year-old mind was possessing at the time, right? So here it is. It's about November, actually, oddly enough, in fourth grade. And, and I'm sitting there, and it's progress report time. So this wasn't my report card, like six weeks report card. This was three weeks uh, before the report cards come out, you know, three weeks into the six weeks period at the time. And they were sending home progress notes, and they were going to let the, te- the teachers were letting the parents know, this is where your child is so far during this grading period. And I receive my progress reports. And let's just say Ryan wasn't a great student in fourth grade. Uh, Ryan was not the most uh, inclined to want to do his work. I would rather talk to people and make friends, which is something that I think kind of continued on into adulthood and has led me to this point now. So I, I, here I am, and I'm just, I, I have a lot of friends. If there was a grade for friends, I had an A, and it was awesome, and people liked me. It was wonderful. However, that didn't translate to my grade in social studies. I received my progress report, and my progress report for three weeks in, in fourth grade for the class social studies, was a 43. Solid. A solid 43. And let me tell you, I earned that 43 through my lack of trying, right? So I had this 43, and in the moment, not thinking rationally like an adult would, we're like, okay, you know what? It's low, we got time, we got, time. We got three more weeks. If I got 43 points that first three, and I get 43 more, that's, you know, that's an 86. Uh, I was doing well in math, so I could have, could have processed that, but I didn't have that thought process. I, I wasn't going, okay, you know what? We can buckle down and make this happen, no worries. No, immediately I went to, my parents are gonna kill me, and I will never receive their love again. <laughs> Obviously, the worry hits is a complete overreaction, right? In the moment where you go, oh man. I was so worried. It was that moment where the back of my neck started to like feel hot and my hairs were like tingling on the back of my head. And it was just pure fear of, oh, it's over for me. I'm never going to see the light of day again. I will be locked into my room. My parents are going to cut a little hole in my door to feed me through. And it's over. Because that's what worry does, does it not? It cripples us, it debilitates us, it restricts our thinking, and it bogs us down to where we don't have any ability beyond our realm of worry. 
we're, we're trapped by it. We're confined to our worry. And in fact, I think Paul has uh, just incredible things to talk about when it comes to worry. Now, we see that in, in, in the medical world that we know that there are ill side effects to worry in our lives. Obviously, we know all about just, just what worry and anxiety does to sleep habits, and, and that messes things up. And then also, it can cause ulcers and heart issues and, and all these different things. Worry is not good. Jesus, the great physician, said, uh, you know, who by worrying can add even one day to their life? And I think he was obviously speaking outside of the understanding of the medical science at the time to say, hey, worry will kill you, right? So we know the ill effects of worry, yet we find ourselves worrying often and struggling through the worry and trying to figure out how do we piece this together? How do we hold this together? Because worry is a real thing. Now, let me make one clarity here today is this. I'm not talking about medically documented anxiety disorders, right? There's, there's a difference. I'm talking about the daily worries of life and the things that, that get still small or large, whatever they may be, restrict us. And they hold us down and, and they, they cause us to be paralyzed in the moment, right? So Paul says to them, he says, listen, let's talk about this for just a moment. And so in Philippians chapter four, we're going to read verses four through nine today. That's going to be the text that we work through um, just because there is so much in this small portion that uh, we wouldn't be able to make it through all of chapter four today. We could probably do it in about six weeks, but we'll just stick to right here. It says this in verse, starting in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Man, that's powerful words, right? Paul comes right to it and says, this is how it is. This is what you need to do. But I think before we dive into talking about worry, we need to have a clear understanding of worry and and specifically the word we use, worry, in the English word. So our English word worry that we use comes from the old English, from an old English word. That's the root of it. It stems from old English, which if you didn't realize there is an old English and yeah, they're different. Uh, It's not the same language, but it stems from this old English word, and it actually means to strangle. That's pretty powerful in and of itself. When you go, whoa, just understanding the word helps to bring clarity to when we say, wow, yeah, that makes sense. How many of you could say that in a moment of worry, you have felt like you were caught in a chokehold? Go back to fourth grade with me for a moment. Here I am sitting in Miss Bryant's class, which, you know, she, anyways, I'll leave, she was wonderful. I had a great fourth grade teacher. I really, really did. So she was kind and compassionate, but it did nothing to help me resolve my worry in the moment because I'm going, yeah, but you're not going home with me, right? So I felt like some, some MMA fighter that has just stepped into the ring and I'm in a submission hold of some sort and I'm on the verge of tapping out. Fourth grade, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, just, I'm going to quit school. I'm going to run away. I'm going to jump on a train. And that's going to be, that's it. That's what I'm, you know, right? That's where I was. I'm on the edge, right? Because worry strangles us. Worry brings about fears that are far greater than the situation itself. 
Because worry is crippling. So the word worry that we use, our English word, comes from the old English word that means to strangle. I thought that was incredible. But then as I dig deeper, which I typically do with word studies, is is you find the Greek word that is used there means to be pulled in different directions. Pulled in different directions. Think about that. That's incredible. It's almost as if our hope in Jesus pulls us one way while our worry pulls us in another direction. It's like we're being pulled apart. We're being pulled to pieces. Worry is debilitating. Worry causes us to be restricted in all things. Worry is a real deal. We fight it. Lauren and I had a weekend of moving into our house. It should have been a day of moving into our house. And it became a much larger ordeal in a hurry. We dealt with some worry. The pod that our stuff was in, stored in, was delivered on Thursday. We let it be because we weren't ready to move in yet, things of that nature. Plus, I didn't have the key to the lock. So, go, we bring the lock back, or bring the key back. I did try to cut it with bolt cutters, but it wasn't happening. So, I get the key, and we unlock it, and it won't open. And we're going, this is crazy. Come on. Our stuff's right here. We're ready to go. We've got help. Todd and Nicole are there. We unloaded the truck. Nicole and, and Lauren go, we tried opening it. I don't know what's going on. And Todd and I walk over big like, we got this. Don't worry, ladies. Step aside. <laughs> we tried and we tried and we tried. Raul jumped in and tried to help us. All of these guys that were working at my house, they tried to come in and help us. We could not get this thing open. It was wedged shut. We got about six inches, maybe eight inches open at a time. And as we pull harder, the door's just buckling. It's not rolling up. So I call pods. I call them. And I'm, we're, here's the moment we're going, are we ever getting in this house? Worry starts creeping in, right? Worry starts filling in. It, long story short, pods finally comes back out on Saturday with their big thing to lift it up and they shake this thing and they're trying to tilt it all back the other way. Whatever's in there, they're going to get it back, right? They're banging on it. We're doing all this stuff. Still will not open. The pods guy finally looks at me, the manager that came out to help us, and he said, do you have any chains? And I go, no. And I'm also thinking, if I did, they're in the pod, right? (laughs) My stuff is in here, not out here, right? And I'm like, no, why? And he goes, I'm thinking I'm just going to rip the door off. And I'm going, really? He's like, yeah. And he's like, then he brings out these chains that are like this long. And I'm like, you can't, it doesn't reach, buddy. Uh, We're not hooking up to it. So Raul goes, I've got a Sawzall. And the guy goes, go for it. And I go, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Am I getting charged for this if I cut this door open? And he goes, nope, I'll make a note. And I was like, fine. We had to cut the door off of the pod to be able to get into this thing. So here we are worrying. Now we're going, is my stuff just damaged? Is all of my stuff in pieces and in shambles? And luckily we're all right. There's a few nicks on a couple of things because uh, the saw does cut, you know, through whatever's behind it. And we got in. But then comes the worry of, are things going to fit? We're moving the refrigerator in. And, and Kevin Torrens is helping us get that refrigerator in. And we're going, is, does this thing fit? Literally, we slide it in, and there is not even an eighth of an inch all around combined of space on either side of this thing, and I'm pretty sure it's wedged. So when we sell that house one day, refrigerator comes with it. (laughs) Worry, right? We're trying to move in, and it is a worrisome situation. However, we slept in our own beds last night, and it was awesome, and uh, our drive this morning was less than a minute. Um, It would have been shorter, but we caught a red light, so... It was wonderful. 
But the idea that we're, we're pulling from that we see that Paul is trying to express to us is this divine peace is greater than human worry. Divine peace is greater than human worry. So the Apostle Paul is going to give us three steps that we can walk through and how we can live a life outside of worry. Now, worry is going to come, but Paul's going, hey, there is a way to deal with it, to experience the peace of God. Let me walk you through that, right? So this is what Paul says. So the first thing is this, starting in looking at verses four and five, right praying, right praying. I'll revisit that real fast. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. And then verse six says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your, re- your request to God. Present your request to God. See, now it's easy to say, okay, prayer is always the answer, right? Like growing up, we would say that is a Sunday school answer. And what I mean by that is, if you're in Sunday school growing up as a kid, there's three answers that you can give, and most of the time, there's a way to make that answer right in Sunday school. Because your teacher would ask you a question, you could say either one answer would be Jesus, right? That's a good Sunday school answer. Two would be prayer, and three would be reading your Bible. And in most situations in Sunday school, those answers are applicable in some way. And if you thought fast enough, you could fit it in and make it work. Be like, hey, what do you do if your friend is on drugs? You'd be like, Jesus. What? You just tell them about Jesus. You know, you just kind of piece it together, right? So prayer is one of those answers that you look at. Man, this is kind of like a blanket answer for all things. But Paul specifically states that when we have worry, when we have needs, we need to present our request to the Lord in prayer and petition, present your request with thanksgiving, right? And so he says prayer is, in fact, the answer. Prayer is, in fact, one of the solutions to your worry and finding the peace of God. Now, he he specifically points out three different things revolving around this idea of prayer. And the first thing is this is adoration. See, in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say, rejoice. So it starts with adoration. We adore the Lord. We give him honor for who he is. In fact, if you look at Jesus' model of prayer, of the Lord's prayer that we see, it starts with worship and honor and adoration of the Lord. That is where our prayer should begin. And Paul agrees fully with it and says, yes, when we pray, we need to start with rejoicing in who the Lord is. We need to adore the Father. We need to praise the Father for who he is because that is where it begins. It becomes an overflow of our heart, right? As we acknowledge what he has done for us, that even in the midst of our worry, we still have grace and salvation, right? In the midst of our worry, we are still under the blood, right? So we can rejoice in the Lord for that and praise him for who he is in that situation and in that moment. So we are to always rejoice. Here's, here's what I found. This is crazy. I, I thought this was really cool. The word rejoice means to delight in God's grace. Think about it. That's, that's a cool thought, man. When I read that, I was like, whoa, you could just write a whole sermon right there. We won't today, but we'll finish what we have. But that was like a big thing to me. I was like, man, delight in God's grace. So he says, rejoice, adoration, honoring the Father, praising the Father for who he is. Delight in God's grace. The second thing is, is supplication. Supplication, he says, you know, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God. Why is it so often that in our lives that prayer is so far down the list of remedies or options to run to? A lot of times we go, I can fix this. Let me figure out how, what's the workaround? What's the solution to the problem? How do, and instead of stopping and going, okay, God, speak to me, speak to me. 
Help me, Lord. This is my need. This is my problem. Cool story. While we're in this process of of remodeling this house, I had a plumber at my house. And he's ripped up the floor in our bathroom and he's moving things around. And he gets to this part where we realize that the very last part of our house, which they did such a great job blending it, we didn't know, was an addition. So it means it's outside of the foundation. So we have the pier and beam. And so it's on the other side of the original foundation. And he's going, okay, I've got to get a pipe to there, and there's concrete here, what do we do? And he's, he's a believer, and he said, you know, he's telling me this as he walked through, he said, it's amazing that when I step back for a moment, and I go, okay, God, what do we need to do here? He said, because I didn't want to damage the foundation or weaken it in any way, so I was trying to figure out how do we fix this without hurting the structural integrity of the home. He said, and I stepped back, and I was like, okay, God, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? He said, it was the coolest thing in the world. It was like, a light bulb went off and, and I had the answer. I had the solution. And I was like, man, it's incredible. Why don't we do that more often? When we go, hey God, I've got this need. I have this problem. There's this worry and all this stuff. What is the answer? What is the solution? What do I need to do to be rid of the worry and find the solution to the problem that I'm facing? We step back and we present our request to the Father. We go to him with our petitions, our prayer. Letting prayer become the first option, the first thing we run to. We present our needs to the Father. And then the last thing is thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving. We thank the Lord for the work he's already doing. Here's what I find. Oftentimes we are willing to trust God with our eternity, but we're not willing to trust him with our temporary. And and I found that, that when we have an attitude of thanksgiving, that, that it overflows into other things. Where we say, okay, God, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. I'm thankful for what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you have this trigger moment in this mind of, oh, and I have this need <laughs> uh, that I can't fix on my own and I need your help. So we, we, we praise God. We thank him. We praise him on the front end. God, you're great. You're awesome. We worship you. We adore you. We present our needs and then we thank him for meeting our needs. He says, present your request. He says, bring your prayer petition with thanksgiving. Present your request. Being thankful already for who God is, for what God has done, and understanding that, that God is willing and capable and able to meet our needs. In fact, Paul writes that further on in chapter 4, that, that he will meet all of our needs according to his riches in glory. How many of you are thankful that it's not according to our riches in glory? There are many times and many situations in my life where I've gone and said, God, I can't meet this need. Uh, it's a financial need. And I don't have that. Uh, I've still got, other, there's other things that have to be done. There's things, you know, and it's just, it's not there. And then when we step out of that and we step into his riches and allow him to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. It's remarkable, which then in turn becomes an overflow of thanksgiving, an outpouring of thankfulness. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life, for what you've done, for the needs that you're meeting. It's remarkable when we begin to step into this rhythm of grace and say, okay, God, I'm now presenting my needs. And it's the first part in reducing the worry and eliminating the worry that when we present our needs, there is such a peace in the presence of God. Such a peace in the presence of God. I remember a time in my life that I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and it was during this whole transition thing and trying to find my place and what are we doing and all this kind of stuff. And I, I felt uh, that I had no place. I felt like I, I had no worth and, and what I was doing was what didn't mean anything. And I was going through this whole deal and all that did for me was cause me to worry about everything. I'm not sleeping, I'm tossing and turning. My mind is racing, all these different things. And I found the only time I had peace was in prayer. 
It's remarkable. And you go, man, if the, if the light bulb doesn't go off in that moment, you know, how does it not go off? In, you know, every other time? Anyways, it's just this whole thing of going, why do I miss that every single time? And I go, oh yeah, if I stop and I pray, there's a peace that comes. The presence of God comes, the Holy Spirit works, and there is a peace that passes all understanding. It transcends all understanding. So many of us have a hard time uh, stepping into prayer because our minds aren't right. Because our minds are filled with other things. The second thing this morning is this right thinking. So right praying, right thinking is the second thing. So our minds have to be in the right state. Our minds have to be in the right place. So we look at, at verse eight. It says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. This is a complete shift from our natural thought process, right? Naturally in the flesh, we don't want to think about all of the good. Naturally, we don't focus on, on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Naturally, we shift that and we go and we begin to think on the lies that we've been told and the lies that we've heard about ourselves. And we get in these situations and we begin to worry. And then we start doubting ourselves because of lies that we've heard, right? And we begin to say, man, I can never do this. There's no way I could ever make that happen. And God's going, you're not listening to truth. You're listening to a lie. Here's just a thought, and it's nothing that I came up with. It's just something I came across. So sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It starts with a thought. It starts with a thought. And Paul, Paul is basically spelling this out for us in his own words. So he walks through this whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. So whatever is true. Dr. Walter Cavert reported a survey on worry that indicated that only 8% of things people worried about were a legitimate matter of concern. 8%. Which means 92% of our worries are not legitimate or necessary. Here's, what, here's basically what he said. Either they were imaginary, never happened, or involved matter over which the people had no control. That's the part that trips me out the most is when we start worrying about things that we have nothing to do with. Start worrying about things that are outside of our realm of control. Start worrying about things that we have no influence into. And we go, I can't sleep because of this whole thing going on over in this place or that place. And you're like, whoa, whoa, hey. That's not your problem to fix. That's not your problem. It's not your burden to bear. It's not your burden to carry or, or your issue to walk through or deal with. You know, letting those things go. He said, focus on what is true. So 8% of our worries are legitimate. 92% of them are lies that we carry and that we deal with. He's saying, don't focus on that stuff. Think about what is true. Focus on what is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right. If something is noble, that means it's worthy of respect, Right? Like, man, that person is noble. He's, he's honorable. And we respect those people and we respect those things. So, so he said, think about things that are respectable. Think on things that are, are, are not, you know, <laughs> unrespectable, right? It's make that shift. Change your mindset. Shift your thought process. Move outside of where you're stuck and where you're thinking, but step into thinking on whatever is noble and whatever is right. See, here's the deal in our world. There are so many things that are nowhere near respectable. And what happens as believers, we find ourselves caught up in those things and thinking on those things. 
And that shouldn't be. As believers, we should be separated from the things that are not respectable. We should say, you know what? I'm going to focus on, as Paul says, whatever is noble and whatever is right. That's where my mind is going to be. That's where my thoughts are going to be. So separating the old thought process from a new thought process. Paul is saying, step out of your original carnal flesh way of thinking and step into this new Christ-centered way of thinking, this realm of thinking. Separate those things because when your mind is worried on... thinking on things that aren't right and thinking on things that aren't noble, aren't true, aren't pure. He said, all of a sudden, all you're doing is feeding the worry. All you're doing is feeding the worry. He says, whatever is pure, lovely, and admirable. I mean, it's easy to understand what he means about pure things. And, and, and in fact, in, in, in this time period in which Paul is writing to the Philippians, it was obviously a, a very carnal world and in a very uh, sexually driven world, very similar to the world we live in today, right? And he's saying, remove that stuff from yourself. Get rid of all of the impurities. Begin to focus on what is pure. Begin to focus on what is right. Begin to focus on, on the things that, that are of God, those things that are godly, right, and whole and pure. Focus on what is pure whatever possesses virtue and praise. Virtue is something that should motivate us to live better. Virtue is something that motivates us to be better, to not be the same. We talked last week about how Paul was pushing hard and saying, don't be satisfied with where you are. Press on to be greater. Push into more. Seek God in greater ways. Don't be content. And that's, that's what a virtue says. Think about virtues. They push you to be better. Focus on these things. He says, it's, it's, you know, no Christian can afford to waste thoughts and things that tear him down or tear others down. So how do we do this? This is what I found. This is an act of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And this is the, the work of the Spirit helping us and pulling us as we press into God, as we lean into the Lord, as we lean into the Holy Spirit. He begins to allow us to see things differently. And this is why Paul wrote in, in Romans, he says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I hit on that a lot because there's so much that starts in the mind, so much that starts with the thought process, so much that hinges on where our mind is and where our thoughts are. And he's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that begins with the work of the Holy Spirit. That begins with the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and allowing us to be open to hear from him, to receive from him, so that our thoughts begin to align with the word of God and that they begin to align with the leading of the Spirit. So transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have to have right thinking, right thinking. And then the third thing is this, right living, right living. Look at verse nine real fast. It says, whatever you have learned from me or seen in me, this is obviously paraphrased. He says, put it into practice. Put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Here's what I've discovered in life is this. You cannot separate outward action and inward attitude. If your thoughts are right, if your mind is right, and you're praying on the right things, you're thinking on the right things, ultimately it becomes an outpouring of your actions. Your actions are reflective of your thoughts. That's how it works. I've never once seen a person fully committed to going left and turn right. It's really hard to do that. Like if they just start fighting with themselves. It would be a really funny thing to watch and to see somebody going like, no! No! 
oh, you know, and just like struggling with themselves. It doesn't work that way, right? Because our thoughts dictate what our actions are. And he's always saying, when your thoughts are right, your actions will follow. And so Paul is saying, listen, this is a bold statement from Paul. Paul is very confident in the man of God that he is. He's very confident in, in, in the righteousness in which he walks in. He says, anything you've heard from me, you've learned from me, anything you've even seen in me, copy those things. That's a bold statement to be at that position in his life. He's getting near the end and he's saying, I know that I'm a real man of God. I know that I live in a life, a life of righteousness, that I walk in the grace that, that God has given me. I follow his leading. I'm obedient to the leading of the spirit. I hear the spirit. I go when he says go. I stop when he says stop. I'm following these things. He's saying, anything you've learned from me or even seen in me, do that. He said, don't just, don't just hear it. Don't just receive it. Don't just take it in. Put it into action. Put it into action. Put it into action. Walk that out. Don't be, don't be like the person who goes and, and looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forgets what they look like, you know, but look at it and know it and, and live that out. So Paul is saying, take the words that I've given you and live those things out. Live those things out. I've, uh, I've seen different things. You know, when, when you're a youth pastor, you have a, a lot of students that are knuckleheads. And that's, that's the kindest way to say it, right? You know, but but you, you deal with a lot of knuckleheads and you go, haven't we gone over this before? Like, haven't we repeated this process a time or 12? Uh, like, this is getting ridiculous. And so they come in and, and, and you go, okay, so we're dealing with the same thing that you dealt with two weeks ago, right? Yeah, man, I don't even, I don't even know. <laughs> and that's about the extent of their response. I don't even know. I'm like, you don't even know? You were there. I don't know. You do know. Like, let's talk. And so you see these people, and then you tell them, okay, listen, let's walk through the Word of God again. Here's where, this is what the Word says. This is the Bible. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he says to do. And, and you, you got that, right? Yeah, I got it. I got it. I got this. Okay, you said that two weeks ago, and now we're back here again. Are you sure you're taking this, you're applying it, and you're trying to walk in that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, Figure it out. This is getting ridiculous. That's, that's probably why I'm not in youth ministry anymore. <laughs> I'm like, you people. That's what I say. Anyways. But we see that, right? And I, and I can make fun of students and different stories, and I could give examples, and I won't to protect the innocent, or not innocent, but to protect those that, that were in my youth group. But I, I, I know that we do it in our own lives, Right? where we find ourselves falling into those same things over and over, those same snares that keep pulling us back and pulling us back, and we go, I know better. What am I doing? I know better. And so we find that Paul is saying, listen, take this and apply it. How many of you know this, that, that the majority of our worries are stem from our own actions or lack of action, right? So Paul is saying, listen, if you live these things out, you will limit and restrict and possibly even remove the worry. Because now you're walking in accordance to the word of God and God's word is not leading you into a life of worry. God's word is not trying to lead you into a life of, 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 of a strangled, you know, living. He's saying, listen, live a life according to the word of God. Follow my example. Follow the way I'm living. Look at how I'm walking. And so he writes all throughout his writings about his righteousness and how he lives, not as a boast or an arrogance, but as an example in humility saying, listen, it, it took me a long time to get to here Follow me. 
That's what he's stressing to the Philippians. He's saying, listen, don't be caught up in the same things that keep dragging you back into the worry that you dealt with and dragging you back into the worry that that you find yourself in now. He's saying, don't live that way. Take what you've learned, you've received. He's like, not only have you learned these things, you've received these things. Now put them into action. Make that next step. Make that next step. It's pretty remarkable what happens when we begin to live this way. When we begin to live this way. He says that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your mind and your heart. And I want to key on that for just a moment as we come to an end. When you think about this, when, when, I've always taken the, the phrase that, that surpasses all understanding or transcends all understanding, whatever translation you're reading. I've taken it this way. It's in a, the sense of it is this, that when you are in your darkest hour and in your worst moment, whether that's that you've just received a terrible uh, diagnosis from the doctor, or you're in a position where the finances have fallen apart, or you've got a child who is, who is in a terrible situation, or whatever that may be, and you find yourself in a situation where you should be gripped with worry and fear, you don't. You have peace. And everybody else around you looks at that and goes, why aren't you freaking out right now? Why is this not a big deal to you? And you go, I don't even know but I have peace. That's the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that goes beyond our realm of thinking and, and reasoning. And he's saying, if you walk in this, if you live this way, that peace will be yours. And what I love is that it says he will guard your mind right back to those thoughts and you'll be able to walk in that peace. And it's as if the thoughts that you're used to falling into as it dealt with your worry and your fears and all of that, well, all of a sudden will be guarded by, they will be protected by the peace of God. You won't even know they're coming because God is deflecting them off like a shield around you. You're unaware of the fact that it's happening, but you're walking in the peace of God that transcends all understanding and it's protecting your, your, your heart and your mind. Worry in the Christian sense is wrong thinking and wrong feeling. But when we step into the peace of God and we step into alignment with the word of God and we walk in those things, we find ourselves surrounded by a peace of God that we can't understand and that we can't begin to explain away. It's remarkable. When people go, man, what is this peace like? You go, ah, I don't, uh, until you experience it, I don't really, I don't know how to explain it to you. It actually surpasses all understanding. And they go, wait a minute, is that a scripture Yes, it is. It's remarkable what happens when we walk in the word of God. And then in verse nine, he says that the God of peace will be with you. So how cool is it this, that, that the peace of God will guard you and the God of peace will guide you. That's remarkable. When you walk in those things and you follow in those things and, and you go, wow, I'm covered by the peace of God and I'm led by the God of peace. It's remarkable. One of the greatest things that we can ever have peace in is this. Is the work that was done on the cross and the salvation that we received. And this morning, I, I want to take a moment and remember what God did for us and the peace that we have in our salvation. We're going to receive communion this morning if our ushers want to be, get ready to, to serve us and, and if, if our musicians want to get ready to lead us in this time. But... I'm always thankful in a moment when we get to receive communion. I'm always thankful in a moment when we get to share in the elements together as a, as a body. 
We receive communion as, as an act of remembrance, right? And remembering what Christ did for us on the cross, what Christ did for us in that moment. And, and what greater peace can we ever know? What greater joy can we ever know than, than the peace that we have, that we have salvation, that our eternity is with Jesus in heaven? That's remarkable. That's remarkable. I, I love what, what, what Paul wrote. And he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I take that to mean that when we were at our worst, God gave us his best. You talk about undeserving, undeserving. None of us in this room ever deserved someone else to lay down their life for us. And yet Jesus did it for all of us so that our sin could be covered. And then we can step into his salvation. We can step into his grace. There's no greater peace beyond that. And if we can learn to step in that and walk in that assurance and walk in that peace of God in that way and say, okay, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm in the hands of Jesus. At the end of the day, all of this is temporary and it doesn't go with us. But my salvation is in Christ. I'm covered by the blood and I get to walk in his grace and live in the peace of salvation. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.